0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Staying Power, a show about resilience, all about resilience, what it is, what it isn't, what to do if you want more of it, what to do if you thought you had more of it than you really do. Whatever the case may be, resilience is a choice. And here once again to talk with me today about all the ways and the ideas and the experiences that we've had in helping others develop their own resiliency is my friend, my colleague, my co-host, my conscience sometimes, Tawny Santabria. Tony, how are you? Uh-oh, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> oh, you do, a lot of on- pressure. you do it automatically. You do it automatically. It's from all the conversations I kind of hear that's you.
1: That's sort of true. Yes. <laughs>
0: how are you? Yes, I'm,
1: I'm doing good. I'm
0: doing well. How are you? I'm. You know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Um, lots of different things going on and also uh, grateful that I'm going through them all. Um, some of them are challenging, going through some um, loss of a friend. Uh, which has its own challenges. And there's, you know, grief brings up a lot of things, right? Grief, And it's one of those things that bouncing back when we talk about resilience is a, you know, it's it's an area for that, you know? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, how about you?
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm getting a new dog. Oh, okay. Wow. I am getting a friend for Gita.
0: You are? I am okay has this happened yet or is it
1: um picking her up on Friday oh how
0: exciting is it two days
1: exciting super excited and nervous at the same time
0: hmm does she have a name yet
1: um no I haven't decided yet okay wow this <laughs> I know-hmm it you know it's the stars just kind of came together however they say and um I think Gita needs a really close friend
0: okay. Well, she, uh, she's a sweet dog. And so she does, she said, does deserve a close friend. Well, that'd be great. we great. Well, you know, it's interesting that the, you mentioned dogs. Um, I w- came across a, uh, a story this week oh. that's all about dogs. <gasps> so this is, this is perfect. This is, so perfect. this is perfect. And, and unlike the last couple stories, I've told this one isn't a historical one. This is a contemporary one. And, um, have you, uh, Tony? have you ever paid attention to like the Iditarod uh, sled, the sled race up in, up in, have you followed that at all, sled dog racing, that type of thing?
1: When I was a kid, I lived up in Alaska
0: okay. and
1: I learned quite a bit about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And so you saw that. Did you ever watch any part of the Iditarod or just saw people training or?
1: Um, a little bit of both. Okay. A little bit of both. During the time I was there.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, I grew up in Hawaii, so we had, you know, sled dogs were not a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Beach dogs were a thing, <laughs> but sled dogs were not. So I, mm-hmm. I mean, how, my first introduction to it was Jack London, right? Just like so many other sure. people read Jack mm-hmm. London. and, and mm-hmm. But I came across a story from a few years ago that was about sled dog, uh, sled dog racing. And it's uh, by a young woman who, uh, her name is Blair Braverman. And she has, she's written a number of books now. Um, she grew up in California, actually not far from where you're from, Tawny. She grew up in, in Davis, California. Uh, her parents were academics and um, were really interested in Scandinavian things. And they, she spent a year in Norway with her family and learned all about polar activities and survival, you know, in the in the wild. And it kind of called to her and they moved back to the States and, and she ended up doing um, some like internship type stuff with sled dog racing. And she she wrote this book that was all about her. She ran the Iditarod, which is a thousand mile race, for those of you who don't know it, from Anchorage to Nome, Alaska. And it's it's known as one of the most challenging um, individual feats that anybody can do. But it's not just about in human beings, you know, accomplishing this. Obviously, you have a whole team of dogs. I think it's eight to ten, maybe mm-hmm. more than that that are doing the work mainly, or they're the ones moving the sled. And it's, it's an endurance race and it takes, it takes days upon days upon days. And usually by the time it's done, you have people that are finishing days ahead of other people. And it's considered one of these amazing challenges because not only is it in the middle of winter, which in Alaska is unforgiving in every way, but there are plenty of dangers in that snow. And there's also, you know, there's wild, wild animals, of many kinds. There's bears, there's wolves, there's moose. Um, obviously, there's hypothermia, there's the weather, there's injuries to the dog, there's injuries to the person. There are so many things that make this incredibly challenging. And what I found interesting about this piece that I ran across from, um, from Blair Braverman about this, though, was um, she told a story of what, this was a newspaper article, she told a story of what doing sled dog racing had taught her about planning. She said, I used to be this big planner, plan everything out, right? Plan, 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 plan. And it could be not just for my day. It could be for my year. It could be for my life. And then I started racing sled dogs. And I, she realized something interesting. And I didn't know this. And so I actually ended up, after I read this, I looked into stuff. I didn't know that they had to stop every four hours. Right, even though the dogs can keep going, right, and the dogs want to keep going, right, and so you start out. The dogs are all excited. They've trained to do this, right? They they want to run. They want to pull. They have a sense of team. They have a sense of, you know, order and who's Mm -hmm. in charge within the pack. You know, Mm -hmm. they have a relation. It's an ongoing relationship, and they're the ones kind of sensing what's coming. When when they're racing ahead, they know. Where the next curve is. They, they might see a problem that the human doesn't see. They can smell another animal. They can smell if a moose crossed in front of them two days before. They're so much more aware of the immediacy of what's going on than the human who is guiding them. But they'll keep going. And so she said, when she stopped for the first time for four hours, these dogs were going crazy. Like they just didn't want to calm down. She's getting them food, she's getting them rest. They would go again, they would be super, start, then every four hours they would stop. And I wondered why. I was like, okay, because the temptation would be get out ahead, get out ahead, get as far as you can, drive them, drive them, drive them, drive them as long as they're willing to go, and then make up ground if you need to, if, you know, if they're tired. That, that's the whole idea. It's an endurance race. She said, actually, I said in the end, it's about preserving, taking steps, mm-hmm. staying contained anticipating Mm -hmm. that you are going to need that energy in those dogs way further down the line and you cannot anticipate what they're going to run into. So you have to prepare as best you can by making sure not only that they get the rest that they need every four hours and they get the food, but they start to understand that by when you stop at four hours, Oh, okay. Me, the dog I'm tired. Oh, okay. She's got my bed ready for me. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, my food is ready. It builds trust. It builds connectivity. And she said, and it built this understanding, said that for the next step, we had everything that we needed. And she even says in this, and she says it in her book too, um, you know, you have a thousand miles to go, but you cannot think in those terms or wonder how many miles I have left. Because if you're doing that from the very beginning it will ne- you'll you'll be so intimidated by the result or by the by the effort that it'll okay. actually slow you down and she wrote this piece that I that I read in the middle of the pandemic when everybody was wondering how open-ended this was going to be and how long was this going to go on and so she wrote about this as kind of a way to say well it's open-ended what do you do to build to make sure you're building in rest <laughs> right? Taking care of yourself, support before you need it, right? That was the thing. She said, well, we were building as a sled team was the support that we all needed in the moment. But when things really got hard towards the end, when we were running out of everything, that's what we were building up for, right? Building up for that, that need at the end. So you build that support before you need it. And you just do that each day and you do that well, preparing yourself, preparing your Support, right? Building that connection, building that relationship between them. You set yourself up for a really, a much better opportunity to, I guess, she didn't say it this way, but I guess I was taking it it this way, to be more resilient more often (laughs) through all of this. So, she finished the Iditarod in 2019, I think is the first time she did it. And she finished it, and all her dogs finished it, and she didn't win it. But she finished it. And it's one of those races that I think they just, they're like, okay, no, you finished it. That's what matters more mm-hmm. than, than actually winning it. Um, but I just found that really fascinating. I didn't know very much about sled dogs. I didn't know that much about them. Um, mm-hmm. But I just found that a fascinating story. That's what she did. And she did it pretty young. I mean, she was only, she was only in her 20s. When she did this and you're out there solo, there's no team, right? It's you and the dogs. So, um, you know, and she's, she's gone on to now of course be a, be an author and a, you know, an adventurer and, you know, she's got a very active social media presence and that type of thing. But, um, mm-hmm. that story about that, and how she does that in the midst of the most unforgiving conditions, you know, and, a and a, what must feel like an open ended trek, even though you know it's a thousand miles, you have no idea how long it's going to take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. that was it. Was interesting that you brought up <laughs> getting Gita a friend, and I had a I had a story about that. What what comes up for you mm-hmm. with that? Anything?
1: Well, you mentioned she was out there by herself, and I would absolutely say she was not out there by herself. Uh, she was out there with her team. With her team, right? This is a kind of a uh, obviously, as you described it, this is sort of an example of the where the the pack. Mm-hmm. is really important. This is not something she would and could do by herself. This is not something that maybe her and a couple other humans could do.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Right. So, so that being able to connect and, and read each other and work as a team with, it doesn't always have to be humans. That's I mean, We're all here on the planet at the same time. I know.
0: I'm kind of I'm 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 kind of I'm I'm grimacing sheepishly because I did say that. <laughs> Discounts like, the dogs. Sorry, Gita. Discounted the dogs. <laughs> sorry. Right. Sorry. And I meant no other human was with her. That's what I well, meant. <laughs> right. But
1: but but and mm-hmm. like, why is it that humans right. are you know more skilled than than animals? Like maybe not so much, especially for yeah, especially in different environments and different yeah. contexts and for different purposes and reasons. Mm-hmm. Right, but certainly, um, her you know her thinking ability and, and what she understood and knew, um, in in terms of being able to help them regulate. Because she understood that there was a thousand miles. They might not have understood that there was a thousand miles. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they thought, just give it one more hour and we'll be (laughs) done. We got this, right? (laughs) And so, you know, maybe they don't have that level of understanding, right? So Mm -hmm. she needed to sort of help kind of regulate their their process so that they don't reach depletion, right? Mm Because when we're depleted, any of us, when we're depleted, it's going to take us that much longer to get going again. And that wouldn't have been an efficient use of time to to work them all the way to depletion, and then have to have to you know get that much rest to get going again. Mm -hmm. That would have slowed things down over the long haul for sure. Um, But yeah, so I'm just giving you a hard time. Oh, that's okay. I'm a dog lover, right? So I'm I'm
0: I feel like I should lose my dog lover card for for doing well.
1: You it might have to get suspended. Right. And you might have to do, you might have to earn it back. Oh, okay. There might be some things along the I'll way. I'll just come
0: over and pet Gita for 10 minutes and that should get me out of purgatory. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Yeah. No, it's, that's true. All of that. Yeah. It was just a, just a fascinating look, I thought.
1: Yeah. And I love that. Um, whatever that was about, you know, had to give up her planner card also, like, you know, instead yeah. of of having, of being able to be so reliant on sort of her thinking ability, Mm -hmm. right? She had to really sort of increase her, her trust and um, kind of give over some responsibility to the, to the dogs for safety purposes and to know sort of what is ahead, like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can be really hard for us to do when we have a goal that we want to achieve is, is really to kind of, lay off the reins a little bit mm-hmm. or let there be some wiggle room. Holy smokes. Right? Yep.
0: yep. Mm-hmm. Can, can I read you? I mean, it's so funny that you just mentioned that. Can I read you what she said exactly about that in this story? Mm-hmm. Here's what she said. Um, when I got into long distance dog sledding, I discovered that the only thing worse than not having a plan was the stress of having one and constantly breaking it. Working with dogs in the wilderness means negotiating countless shifting variables, snow and wind, Wild animals, open water, broken equipment, each dog's needs, and changing moods. I learned that plans, when I made them, were nothing but a sketch. The only thing I needed to count on was that the dogs and I would make decisions along the way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quite
0: a team. Yeah, yeah. And it it, 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 to me, I think I, you know, it was f- so funny because I, I. You you know I do this you know I I come across something like this and I deep dive into all these other things like oh I haven't read about dog sledding and I pulled out my Jack London book again and and looking at all that but then I I caught myself in the middle of that um, and I put all that down right and and kind of sat back and wanted to kind of be in the be in the moment of okay what is resonating about this for me why you know besides it being an interesting story which I always like but why was it resonating as a story that i would tell you on this show and and talk about it? and i think that's i think we're sort of we're on the edge of that i think for me the the idea was that when you don't have those plans or when you when you when those plans are just made so clear are not going to work right <laughs> trying to sketch it is not how it is and you have to focus in on the things that you do have and what does work and recognize that your planning or your whatever you're doing is going to be pretty contained. Um, what you discover in the process can end up being so much more profound than whatever goal you're trying to get to, or rather than focusing exclusively on that, paying attention to what's right now. There's an immediacy of, I envision her sitting on, you know, standing on that sled and you have to be watching everything they're doing You have to move with them, right? They're moving with you, right? You literally have to just be with what's right in front of you, right? And keeping track on some level of the short term things, how long, how much time has gone by, you know, what things you might need to do when you're done, but you can't even spend much time doing that. You have to have everything prepped to such a degree that whatever you're going to do, you kind of just automatically have to do it. Does that make sense? rather than getting caught in that larger thing. And it seems to me that would introduce us to so many things about ourselves where there's more resilience than we might think or pro- provide those opportunities to develop more of it. I think that's what drew me in.
1: Yeah, it, w- what keeps coming up for me as you're talking is adaptability.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: adaptability is, in, in some regard, is one of the most important strengths and values and characteristics we could actually have because Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all about in, in the Iditarod, you have to be able to adapt like you were just talking about so many things that are not in your control as a human. Um, And so working with all of the other parts of nature um, and animals and Mm -hmm. weather patterns and, you know, all, all of those pieces that you're working with rather than against it, um, and I so I think adaptability is key and I think we've talked about it before actually um, is key for resiliency. Mm-hmm. And have a, a sense about ourselves that we can adapt to whatever conditions arrive. We don't know how right? because that's a momentary decision or a momentary adaptation
0: yeah
1: um, but but that there's a sense, okay, whatever comes, I'm gonna be able to read it. I'm gonna be able to work with it yeah and I don't have to anticipate it. Yeah. I don't have to what if all the things. Mm-hmm. I just need to have enough sort of trust in myself, trust in my team, enough preparation. Mm-hmm. That's reasonable. We can't go out on on a, on a race without the appropriate layers of clothing mm-hmm. um, yeah that yeah, that wouldn't work. but so within reason, we're prepared. Mm-hmm. And then we just let the rest take care of itself.
0: Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, Jack London said that was exactly what, <laughs> what this type of thing would do, is it would, it would highlight exactly all those things, the human experience as it really is. You're only in control of so much. There are so many other things around you, conditions that change. And what humans can do is develop more of that sense of whatever happens I can respond to it. Whatever happens, I can work through it. I can endure it. I can get creative to get out of it. I can solve problems. I am part of a larger team, right? and I have to learn how to communicate, right? That's a whole other different type of communication, right? If you're, you know, because the dogs are communicating for sure. Right? So they're all communicating in their own way. There's so many things in there that I think capture that. It's probably one reason why the Iditarod and races like it have that kind of continued appeal, right? It's not just, I think, the, the fact that it's a really tough race. I think there's, for people who really pay, can pay attention to it or have read about it, it taps into something about that, right? Our, our potential in ourselves, maybe, to discover the things that we have always wanted to believe are there, but we kind of have to experience to really experience them and see them emerge.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think, yeah, what you see you said—the dogs are are communicating amongst themselves. They're communicating to her too. Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. Right, like everybody—they're all communicating. It's just a different kind of communication than what we're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I tell people all the time that, maybe it's going to sound like a crazy person, but Gita Gita knows what I'm thinking. Mm. I mean, like we're so she's. She's the dog that I've been. I've had dogs all my life, but she's the dog I've been most in tune with mm-hmm. my whole life. And I, I can look at her, and it, and and she knows when I. We're communicating without words. I guess mm. she's not. She doesn't know when I'm thinking about. Oh my gosh! Now I got to go do this, and I got to go do this. Like she doesn't, you know. Right. But but we we can communicate with each other just through the face, you know, nonverbals, yep. and it's amazing. Um, what she understands Mm -hmm. and, and what I understand from her. And I would imagine someone who is leading well, not being led or leading (laughs) animals in this regard, um, there would be quite a bit of communication that's happening. Yeah. That, that maybe even is difficult to put into words. I would think. So we're not ever, that's the other part of it. It's like, we're not ever really by ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm. Unless we're working really hard to be by ourselves. <laughs> right.
0: I like that. Yeah. I believe that about Gita. by the way. I i had a, I had a lab when I was, when I was young, his name was Kansas and mm-hmm. he was, he was a big old boy, but it was the same, same type of thing. Um, I mm-hmm. was, I was an t- early teenager when we got him and and there was just, there was kind of that unspoken thing. Like, you know, he knew when I was going to get up and go to the car and he wouldn't want to go, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I knew when he needed something. <laughs> you know I mean, it was, yeah. So I, I get that. I think that, um, and how that must play out, you know, in the middle of a race like that in in, in conditions must be a incredibly mm-hmm. profound thing. It seems to move everybody who ever does that and writes about it, right? There's got to be something about all those things playing together that just, like mm-hmm. a tuning fork that just, you know, strikes all the right same notes in the whole experience, right? For something
1: profound. Mm-hmm. I would imagine so. Yeah. I would imagine so. It tests so many different areas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Yeah. I mm-hmm. like that, that we're
0: not ever really alone unless we're really trying. Well, take, take that analogy. If you're really out there alone in the Iditarod, you're in trouble.
1: I don't, I don't think anybody would go out no, there alone. No, I don't
0: think they would, right. <laughs> it's really not stay out there alone, right, right. No, no,
1: yeah. no that would not work well. Mm-mm. Yeah, exactly, Mm-mm. exactly. Mm-mm.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's so much in what you said, you know, the the things about how all these different things interplay and, and the preparation that you do to a certain degree and then the practice that you have to have. I mean, all those dogs practice, right? I mean, they take them out on test runs and, and all those types of things. The human endurance, like your nutrition, your, how you set up camp, you know, in the middle of, of blowing uh, blowing snow, all those types of things. And then yet, then going out and doing it, it just always reminds me of all the, you know, what Lao Tzu used to say, you know, wh- about war. You know, the best laid plans are are moot as soon as battle starts, right? Because as soon as it starts, you have to do it, right? And then what does it give us the opportunity to do? Find out a lot, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And find out more, that there's more to us than we think. I think that's the big takeaway for me, is she clearly, based on her writings, found out there was a lot more to her than she originally thought. And she was a pretty confident person to begin with,
1: you know? I, I always say that we can't build confidence without doing. Yeah. We can't think our way into confidence. Mm-hmm. And so I have I've talked to so many people along the along the years that have said, you know, I just want to be more confident. Okay, so what are you doing mm-hmm. to be more confident, right? Because when we do the hard things, when we do the things that are going to test us, that's when we build mm-hmm. that confidence because that's when we're proving to ourselves, oh I've got it in me to be able to do these things. Mm -hmm. The confidence doesn't come first and then we go do the thing. The confidence comes after we go do the thing. Mm -hmm. So for the folks who are waiting for the confidence to arrive, just get going and doing the thing and then the confidence may come. Mm -hmm. But it will not come without doing the thing. Oh, man. And how
0: often do we do that? You know, put the, put the thinking before the doing, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. about confidence or anything else, you know, rather than the doing and then, you know, it comes. And, you know, in the short amount of time we have left, which isn't much, study after study is showing more and more that that's how to really build confidence and build self-esteem. If you want to build esteem, do esteemable things, right? Mm-hmm. It's 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 not just what we tell ourselves. In fact, it's a lot more of what we actually do. So I like that. Can't build confidence without doing. Yeah. Can't can't finish the Iditarod without doing.
1: There's no way to think your way into that one. No, <laughs> no. Or think your way out. No, exactly.
0: Exactly. Well well, thanks, Tony. I'm I'm I knew you were gonna be excited about a dog story. I knew that. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Just perfect convergence <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to hear about Gita's new friend. So you'll have to tell us about that some other time. I will. I will. So mm-hmm. all right. Well thanks for that. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Right, and thank you for listening to this episode of Staying Power. Remember, if you missed any of this episode or any of your other other episodes, you can get this as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for subscribing, for reviewing, for sharing with your friends, your family, your social networks, anybody you think would benefit from hearing about how they can develop more resiliency in their life and all the benefits that comes with that. Remember, if you subscribe to uh, Staying Power during midweek, you will get our short mini podcast the four, four tips on something that if you try that out in your daily life might produce some really positive things for you. So you can get that if you subscribe. And we will see you next week for another episode. Until then, I am JDK Winnegan.
1: And I'm Tony Santabria.
0: See you everybody. Go pet your dog. Mm-hmm.